Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to those women whose story is meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share their stories with the world so that in their shining, they give permission to others to shine as well. I'm super excited to welcome today Dr. Dina Samuels to the show. Dr. Samuels, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Susan, thank you so much for having me. It's such a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, I checked out your website. I don't want to learn too much about my guests before the podcast because I enjoy learning straight from the horse's mouth. I, I am so impressed with what I saw. I feel so connected to you. I love what you do. I can't wait for you to share your story. So let's get started. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so I, um, I was teaching at the University of Colorado down in Colorado Springs for 20 years, uh, and I was teaching social justice studies. So courses on racism and sexism and heterosexism, ageism, ableism, very intersectional, the work that I was doing. I and, love uh, at the same time as I was teaching, I was also consulting around the country. Either someone will have read one of my books and said, hey, can you come and speak? Or they would say, um, you know, they'd seen me speak somewhere and they would say, hey, can you come and speak here? And so uh, I, was, I was speaking all over the country in addition to teaching. And about a year and a half ago, left my university position, my tenured position to consult full time. And so now I'm speaking around the country um, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mostly. Very nice. Very nice. So at some point in my life, I would like to host my all day event. Um, I think it might become a half day event and have you be my keynote in Colorado. So I think that, that would be great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love what you're doing. We need what you're doing and you're the credible source to send the message. So, um, stay tuned folks. We're going to learn a lot more about Dr. Samuels. Tell me a little bit. Um, what, why did you go into this? Like what made you choose that profession? So, um, Interestingly, I, I mean, I, I got my undergrad degree was in uh, international relations po uh, politics at Brandeis University. And then I got my master's in sociology. And so when I think about what I do for a living, I really think about sociology. Like that's, that's sort of, I am a sociologist at heart. My PhD was in educational leadership research and policy. And so it allowed me to speak the language of education um, and in using, um, figuring out how to create curriculum and all of that, which I had been doing along the way as I was teaching, uh, in ways that I felt were going to be most effective for, uh, to, for people to be able to hear where I was coming from. Because a lot of what I do is challenging, right? I'm challenging, oftentimes challenging the status quo. And right often many companies don't really want to hear it or, you know, I'm always brought into an organization, you know, anywhere from, you know, um, the military organizations to NASA to, you know, th these um, geologists, I mean, I'm, and, and also to nonprofit organizations and corporations around the country. So these, these kinds of organizations, they're the people who bring me in are excited to have me, but I'm always, uh, how do I say in this in the space with folks? There's always some folks who are just not wanting to hear what I'm 
what I'm sharing. <laughs> sure, and, sure. So yeah. I, I believe you to be um, provocative because this is about change. Change mm -hmm. is never easy. And you're, um, I, I read a recent, recently read a book called In Defense of Dissenters. Um, mm -hmm. So we need that. We need troublemakers like you and like me who challenge the status quo because it's not working. It's not working for everyone. It's only working for a particular um, subset. So I get it. I get it. People are a little bit apprehensive and sometimes more than a little bit. Yes. And, and, and so to answer the question of, of how did I get involved in this, I think um, part of it was uh, when I was a sociologist teaching, I, I was teaching social theory and uh, some of my students started asking me questions about my whiteness. This was very early in my career. The, um, and they, they were asking me, we were talking about race theory and I was teaching it in a way that sort of left out white people, like who has, you know, as though white people didn't have, don't, don't have a race. And so I had some of my white students asking me, well, what does it mean to be white? And what, you know, and, I started to scratch my head going, well, I know because I am white, so I should be able to answer the <laughs> question. But from a, as a, from a sociological perspective, there's so much more that I haven't really thought about. And that launched me down a whole different path. Um, I, you know, I was always interested in multicultural education. I was always interested in um, uh, having dialogues across social differences. That's always been a part of what I do and, and who I am. I was... I was born in Africa, so that may have had something to do with it uh, in South Africa. But um, as I, as as these students started asking me these questions, I, I ended up going back and getting basically another master's. You know, just trying doing a ton of research, um, taking courses, teaching courses. Uh, I was I was um, writing papers upon papers on these topics of what it means to be white. And that literally, like I said, it, it changed the trajectory of my career to the point that I, I ended up getting really involved in teaching white privilege, the concept of white privilege, which, you know, at the time, you know, this is roughly 15, 20 years ago, it was not well received at all. Right. Teaching and in Colorado Springs, where it's pretty well known as, as to be a fairly right wing, you know, uh, it's, it's certainly a, a, a religious Mecca, uh, right, right. With, um, conservative Christian Mecca. Um, but the classes that I were, was teaching were required, like they were, they were courses that fulfilled a diversity requirement, which is a good thing, but it meant that all of the students in my course were not self-selected. They were, they were just trying to fulfill a requirement. So I got everybody in my classroom. And including a lot of people who, you know, local, local students who weren't having it, you know. So it ended up being a great uh, learning experience for me of how to interact in a way that I could call them into the conversation rather than calling them out or having just wanting everyone in this space to feel included in the conversation. So you were walking the walk. Inclusivity was important. <laughs> That's um, yeah, so I remember back then, I'm, I'm not that young, so I'll say I remember back then when Tim Wise started talking, mm -hmm. and he was highly provocative and controversial, and I lived in Louisiana, He's at, he was at Tulane at the time, but yeah, white privilege was something, people would just hear that phrase and turn off, like yes, they shut exactly. down, 
cross and their that, arms and that's exactly. it. Exactly. Oh my mm -hmm. God. Even the body language was very, yeah. you know, don't, don't continue talking. Don't, don't even go there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So how did you combat that? So, well, a few things, first of all, um, I, I learned a lot along the way, um, but now I feel like I'm, I'm fairly skilled at this. Uh, I've, you know, I've had, I've had so many experiences where uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in that space, uh, whether it be at the, in the military sometimes or in the, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter. I've been in school systems that are, um, are certainly conservative. And so they're, they, yeah, they're not super open to what I have to say. So the, a couple of things that I've learned to do before I even go to consult is to ask the right questions. Yes. So I'm, I'm really big on language and how we use our language. So I will say to a client who's interested in my coming in to do diversity and equity and inclusion work, I will say to them, is it okay to use the word privilege? Because I can do it without using that word and they won't realize, you know, it's not like I'm trying to uh, be surreptitious or, or, right. or self or anything like that. But more along the lines of, I know if I say that word in some situations, like you just said, the people will shut down. So I asked the question, what language is okay to use? And if privilege is not it, you know, if they say, yeah, it's not going to be well received. I don't want to go some, somewhere and try to beat people over the head. I, I don't do blame or shame. Those are a lot of diversity, quote unquote, diversity trainers are out there making white people feel bad. And yeah. white people are coming into these spaces already afraid that they're going to be beat up, beaten up. So yeah, especially uh, white men over 50, because they're faced with not only the white thing, but the women thing, you know? Yeah, yeah right. They're, they've got male privilege as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it becomes a challenge at which point, you know, that they're not going to hear anything I have to say. So I'm, I'm really careful about the language I use. I'm also careful to um, make sure it's not as, as often as possible. I try to make sure that the programs that I do are not required because it, it, it causes the same problem. If ah. this is required, unless it's for the entire company, Right. But if there are people who are, you know, who are really resistant, I, I always suggest that that it's the the leader of the organization will say to, you know, individuals who they want to be in that space, who they know need to be in that space, they need to hear what, you know, what I have to say, that they will go to them and say, hey, I'd really like you to to participate in this thing. You don't and, want to be the principal's office. You don't want to be a punitive measure. You want to be exactly, yeah. And and that's really true as well. That I I rarely work with organizations that are doing compliance work. I understand the need for compliance, but in my mind, that's just too late. It's not compelling, right? Exactly. Uh, yes. It's too late. Once you get yes. there, it's like you've missed the boat. You've missed uh, the boat. And by the way you're way behind the curve because most organizations now, more and more organizations are no longer, they are on the, they're, they're leading as opposed to following, right? These organizations that are in compliance mode, we just need to check a box saying we've done diversity, it means they're, they don't, it's not part of their plan, their strategic plan, it's not part of their, they don't even have a diversity, equity and inclusion right. strategic plan. They're not thinking about this. And the bottom line is, that when you are thinking about this, especially when you're starting an organization, when you're starting a business, it turns out 
the the businesses that are um, that are thinking about this and wanting a diverse culture from the get-go are doing much much better when we're talking about profit. So there's a business case for yes. doing this from the beginning. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. So I noticed that too in what I do. It can't be seen as something you uh, fear. It has to be something, uh, wow, you know, this is a great strategy or, you know, how can we grow and protect our company? Well, diversity is one of the top answers to that question. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I love that approach. We are, I knew that we were on the same page in that, um, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. folks, you need to understand the difference in what she's saying. And I want to touch a little bit on what you said. I have been on the receiving end of some of the, you are a white woman. How can you dare talk about diversity? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm sure you've faced that as well. At least in your opening, you indicated you had, and I, I wonder how do you respond to that? How do you say, you know, yes, I'm a white female. Um, you know, how do you address that white privilege, you know, Absolutely. personally? Yes. So first of all, I, I actually pinpoint it from the beginning. So I, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm white doing this work. In fact, what I have found is oftentimes, again, it depends on the organization, but uh, sometimes people will bring me in and they'll say, you know, we had somebody here who's saying something very similar to what you're what you're talking about, you know, but they were not well received at all. And I'll say, let me guess. And it turns out typically it's a, a, a woman of color. Um, oftentimes, if it's in my community, I can even pinpoint who it might be because I kind of know, you know, who my community is and my my colleagues and the great work that they're doing. Um, and it has nothing to do with the what their message is. It doesn't have to do with anything except for their own social identity. And so I was really troubled by this when I first started out and people kept hiring me behind folks of color because, well, maybe they'll hear it from you and they wouldn't hear it from, from them. And, you know, they felt beaten up or something. It's all based on stereotypes, right? This is, right. they're telling, they're saying the same thing I am, but yet they, they it's, it's just a different, it's a different stereotype. Like they, they can, they think, well, I'm white, so I'm, I'm not gonna be beating them up. Like it, it's just, it really is pervasive. This, this, it's and very problematic in my mind. So I went back to some of my colleagues of color and I said, can you, you know, can, can we talk this through a little bit? Can, well, what do I do with this? Because uh, I don't wanna be taking business away from any person of color. Like that is never my intention to do. Uh, and at the same time, you know, what do, what do you recommend? Do you have any suggestions or anything like that? And without exception, every single one of them, the people that I spoke to said, Dina, if they can hear it from you, you now have a responsibility to stand up and say it. Yes. I love that you incorporate your client and your, uh, this is something so many do not do. You incorporate them in, you know, upfront. You ask them the questions, you ask about the language you should use, what would be well received or not. And um, that's really important. So many people have a canned um, presentation and it is what it is and you just take it. Mm -hmm. um, but I love that you are client centric. That's, you know, I know that's off topic, but it's something that struck me as a positive. I do a lot of these interviews and I do a lot of these interviews with people who do what you and I do. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, rarely do you hear someone say, you know, the, the, the output is a result of the assessment 
in advance yes. of the yes. presentation. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You're so awesome. But you knew I felt that way. Um, you have done some amazing things. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about your representative client list and your books and your all the great things that you do um, that can be seen on your website. I'll share that in our blog. But right now for this podcast, why don't you tell us a little bit about of all those amazing things, what has been your proudest professional accomplishment? Oh, I love that question. Um, so uh, I would probably say my latest book. Awesome. Uh, more about it. Yeah. So um, about seven, must be like seven years ago now, I found some research that said that if you have any kind of mindfulness practice, it ends, and that could be prayer, that could be some spiritual um, element of your, you know, how you show up in your world or, or what you do as your own practice, or it could literally just be being in the present moment, like noticing your breath or whatever it means for you to be present now, right? That it turns out that if you have any kind of practice like that, it lowers your in, um, implicit or unconscious bias. And I got really excited about that. I mean, first of all, I was like, you're kidding me. I never would have put those together. Right. Because when you hear the word mindfulness, which is so, you know, so it's just more and more in, in the vernacular now. Uh, all these big corporations, are, have, they have mindfulness departments. They have mindful leadership, et cetera. And um, so, but when people hear the word, they're like, first of all, you know, they, they think of it as a personal experience that, you're having your own personal experience and it has nothing to do with interacting with others or social justice or even environmental justice. And what, my, what I started to do was realize mindfulness can be used for all of those things. So, that's, and that's, that's where the book came from is just this idea that um, if it can lower our implicit biases, I mean, I, 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 I got really excited because First of all, I've been teaching implicit bias training for years and years, like literally decades. And at the same time, I had my own mindfulness practice that was relatively new at that time. And I just got so super excited. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, it makes sense because when you are interacting, when you're really present with the person in front of you, especially if you're interacting across social differences, so the person right. looks differently than you or has different social identities than you, uh, you, all of the stereotypes that normally would come up into your face and would be, you know, would be, uh, be, um, cl uh, clouding, I guess is the word. Yeah. Uh, clouding your, your, your interaction. Those sort of fade into the background and you really are present with the person in front of you. And it's not to ignore by any means, it's not to ignore their social identities but rather to embrace them for all that they are. And so there's, you know, you find a common humanity, but, and in it, it's a both and, you find right. a common humanity and you see them for all that they are and all of their experiences. Um, it's just a beautiful thing. And so again, this book is called The Mindfulness Effect. And it, it's actually, it tells my story in it, which is, was a really powerful thing for me to be sharing because it's not a pretty history. I've had, or, um, so I talk a little bit about that at the beginning so folks know where my mindfulness practice came from, but then it uses mindfulness as a tool, 25 practices are in there that, uh, that 
where you can use mindfulness as a tool for self, you know, healing, for self-empowerment, for um, uh, finding a meaningful life, for culturally inclusive leadership development, wow. for social justice, for environmental justice. It kind of takes you through that whole journey. Yeah. Wow. So I want to say um, this has been, I'm jaw dropped and I knew about your book. I'm definitely, you know, an, an avid fan of what you're doing. I'm going to have to buy your book and read it and then I'll um, probably share my thoughts on it with my following. So yay. Um, let me ask you, I come from a high stress corporate world and I know you work a lot with corporations and military um, I come from financial services and then later, um, most recently, the last 18 years or so with legal. Um, the, the legal world is, oh my gosh, rife with stress and you know, alcoholism and suicide rates are, because I think so many don't understand the importance of mindfulness and what a preventive measure it can be and how just being mindful means that you're embracing that power tool known as curiosity about whatever you know, mm -hmm. about that moment that you're in. I think the billable hour is harmful in that world. Um, mm. I think people are afraid to take time out to be mindful of even, you know, walking off the elevator or pushing the number to the floor they're going to, much less bigger issues mm. um, because they, they run on autopilot. They try to, you know, work all day, get as many hours in, build that client for those hours and make that money. Mm -hmm. So I think what you do is so, so needed in mm -hmm. my um, last industry. Now I'm, I work with all industries, but my history has been financial services and legal. So mm -hmm. lots of folks in professional services could certainly use not only your book, but what you do for a living, um, come in and interact and talk and ask questions and get to know you personally. So um, I'm going to be recommending you highly to mm -hmm. my network. Um, I think that you're saving, um, you're teaching people how not just to manage their time, but to manage their attention. Yes. Yes. I, I and, think, yeah. Yeah. It, it's powerful. It, yeah. I'm, I appreciate you so much for, for saying that and for receiving what it is I'm, I'm sharing because I do, it was life changing for me when mindfulness came into my life, when I brought it in. Um, and I know how powerful it's been for others. And so when you ask me the question of you know what's been the most you know the most impactful or or exciting or or empowering for me the the idea the ideas behind the book it's not the book necessarily itself, right. but the ideas behind the book again were so life changing now I'm doing retreats on mindfulness which I never would have assumed as a social justice activist doing you know doing work in sociology and teaching and diversity and all of that, I wouldn't have expected that that's the turn my life would take. And I'm, I feel just truly honored by that. Um, and I'm always coming from a social justice lens that never, you know, it's never one or the other. Um, really sounds, mindfulness is just a tool. Yeah. It sounds to me like you have a beautiful skill for listening, listening to life and the message mm -hmm. of life sends you not just people, but life. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, Look, I love when people are vulnerable and honest and authentic, and I believe that vulnerability is a strength because mm -hmm. who are we fooling when we pretend we've got it all going on and yes. you know nothing can break me? That's not true. So for me personally, there was a time in my life where mindfulness was a lifesaver, and I engaged in mindfulness for many, many years and was a 
the healthiest I'd ever been mentally, emotionally, physically. Now I have, if I'm going to be honest with the folks on my show and I always am, I have let go of that over the past, I would say two or three years, um, very challenging times in my life. Um, very, uh, I am the caregiver for my mother who has Alzheimer's. I had a very, very poor fit for a job before I opened and started this business. And I let go of nurturing me and paying attention to the good and the bad, if there is such a thing as bad, um, in my life. So I am hoping that engaging with you, Dr. Samuels, and engaging with your book and your um, website and the thing that I'll remind myself of what it was like to be mindful and maybe get back in those good habits in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so it, it, it's important. It's very valuable what you do. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I, I would love to share just a couple of things. Is that okay? Yes, you based have plenty on, of time. Absolutely. Okay. Just, just um, based on what you just said, uh, just it brought up a couple of things I want to share to make sure that I, if that can be my goal is always to be of service in any way I can. And so I, if I can share some things and if it's valuable, if you find any use in it, wonderful. Um, the first thing I thought of is the fact that I hear oftentimes people don't have time to bring mindfulness into their lives. And what I have seen over and over again is that almost, it's almost the opposite. Like you don't have time not to. And right say that is because I literally call it a 10 second vacation. So it turns out that if you inhale for four seconds and exhale for six, the six seconds that as long as your exhale is longer than your inhale, you're actually calming your parasympathetic system and you're calming yourself down. I use this as a leadership tool. So most often now when I'm asked to speak, it's on what I call, what, what's called mindful, inclusive leadership development. Wow. And Yeah. And so I teach it as a leadership tool because 10 seconds, you could, you know, you could be, you could pause for 10 seconds while you're in the middle of a meeting. No one will know you're taking a breath, but you are truly calming yourself down. And you are, what happens when that, when your, when your parasympathetic system is calm, it means you are much more focused. Your attention is much clearer. It's no longer clouded. And so that alone, that practice alone, you know, more than probably anything else in my book, I would say just that alone is a beautiful start to a mindfulness practice. And, um, it's, it's really, um, it's, it can be life-changing. And it can shift your meeting. You can start focusing when you're focusing on your breath and you're kind of letting everything else go for just 10 seconds. You are, uh, you, there's a clarity that comes in. There's also inspiration that comes in that you would probably not have made time for otherwise. So it's, again, really beautiful practice. The other thing I just wanted to mention for you personally, Susan, is that, and, and I know you're not the only one who is, um, has been a caregiver for somebody who is experienced something, something like Alzheimer's um, or other forms of, of dementia, et cetera. And what I've learned um, just from you know, the research that I've done around mindfulness is it turns out that when we think about mindfulness, we think about 
it's really, if you're in the present moment, you're really not thinking, you're not focusing on the past and you're not focusing on the future. And really when you think about dementia or um, Alzheimer's, that's really what's happening to this human being who is dealing with this, this um, issue in their lives, right? That they are, the past is gone, the future's gone, they are truly present in the moment. And so it's, I mean, it's actually like this incredible, I don't want to call it a gift because that's that, I don't mean to minimize it in any way, shape or form or, or put some silver lining on it that, that, you know, doesn't, you know, I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, shape or form. But when I've heard about um, these kinds of situations, it reminds me of what does it mean to be in the present moment? And in some ways, they're living very mindfully. I agree. I agree. So I always say this. And so I get you. First of all, I get you. You don't need to apologize to me. I hope the listeners who listen to me regularly know that I get Dr. Samuels and you probably get her too. What she's saying is this is why caregiving is harder on the caregiver than the actual patient. So my mother is living mindfully. She is happy in that moment or, or whatever her feeling is at that time. She's, she's 100% right there. Um, she's not worrying about the past or overly concerned or anxious about the future, what will happen tomorrow. She is in the present moment. Now, for those of us who care for her, we need to make a conscious effort to be in the present moment. And that's what I've let go of um, Mm. and, and need to embrace again and be, you know, healthier process this whole life challenge in a better way rather than storing all my emotions and feelings inside and then eating or drinking them later uh, to relieve the stress or to escape from the reality of my current situation. Um, I know all this to be true. I'm committed to making change, not just in 2020 as some cheeky New Year's resolution, but right now, today, you know, I've been trying each day. Part of the practice that I do is I inhale and I say, that's curious. Before I respond to anyone just saying the words that's curious in my head gives me time to for others it might look like an emphatic pause but for me it's a resetting before I respond Mm -hmm. or before I ask or make a request and I think in the world of legal and in financial services at least and probably corporate I mean I'm I'm sure every um busy person who has a job that pays them to be busy and to do big things experiences the same thing. If you don't stop and you don't pause and you don't take a deep breath, and I love the tip about exhaling longer than inhaling, then you're just answering to fill the space and responding to get your, get your words in there. And you're not really consciously taking in what the other person said or what the situation is or taking the temperature of that moment. Um, so again, you're calling it mindfulness. That's what it is. It's amazing. I, I think curiosity and mindfulness are power tools yeah. in being healthier, happier individuals, but also in bringing in more business and creating better relationships and you know, serving your clients better. Client service is the number one business development practice out there. How do you provide great client service? I think mindfulness should be at the top of the list there. I love that. I truly love that. And, and to say, you know, just to, to reiterate something that you said that I think is so critically important is, you know, if we're not mm-hmm. responding mindfully, turns out we're reacting. Right. 
And typically we're reacting because we're triggered by something from our own past that may be unresolved or whatever, but, and not to psychoanalyze anybody, but the idea is, I, I mean, for me personally, I don't want to be in reactive mode 24 seven. Right. Like, not that I don't ever, yeah. <laughs> well, it's exhausting, but it's also the way we show up is not our best selves, right? right. The way we show up is this reactive, um, usually it causes irritation. So we might yeah. come off as irritable. We may say things that we don't really want, you know, we, we wish we hadn't said. There's all of that comes into it. Whereas that pause of, and I love what you're, you know, this idea of curiosity, bringing curiosity to the moment uh, is a beautiful thing because you can be curious about what's happening in your own body, you know, the embodiment of, you know, the response that your, that your body is taking in um, versus, and at the same time, you can also be kind of being curious about what the person said, what, where they might be coming from, what's the reaction of other people in the room, depending on the situation, all of that, like curiosity helps to bring us to a place of responding from a much more, from a higher place, if you will, yeah. like more purposeful, uh, yeah. perhaps more meaningful place as opposed to you know, and this also happens in, in listening, right? We oftentimes, when we're supposedly listening, we're really just thinking about what we're supposed to be saying next or what, what we want to say next and not listening. And this mindfulness piece allows us to pause and really be focused, be present in the moment, listening to what, we, what, what we're hearing. And then, um, you know, that, that pause of maybe there's some inspiration that comes that if you're yeah. just immediately reacting to, you would never have gotten to. I think that mindfulness in the moment, like you just said, or if you want to use my phrase, that's curious, while you're doing your inhale and your exhale, allows us to um, be curious about what's happening in our own minds and bodies, as you said, and also be curious about where the other person's coming from, as you said. And I call that listen, listening with empathy and not judgment. So mm, Beautiful. Yeah, if we can, if we can realize we don't have the answers in advance, we need to hear what this other person's going to say before we formulate a response, then that means we have to be courageous enough to not know everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I love that it's challenging for those who are um, ISTJs or lawyers or, you know, the people who are paid to know everything in advance and know all the answers before they ask the questions. But they're the people who need it most, I believe. Um, and, and I think it would really change an entire, you know, industry generation world if we were to embrace your, um, your practices that you mentioned in your book. So I'm totally going to promote the, the, the book, you and the practices. I'm going to live by example. I'm committing right here, right now. On oh, love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have clearly, um, I've made it clear you're an inspiration to me. Um, I don't know you well enough yet to call you a mentor, but I, I think that you have mentored me in ways that you may not realize. Um, but who has been your best inspiration or your mentor? Oh, I have so many. I have oh, so I love many. It. I'm blessed in that way. Um, I've been mentored along the way, whether it be in the social justice field or, um, uh, you know, I have very many, you know, colleagues and uh, my supervisors at the university. Uh, the, I, I was very involved in the White Privilege Conference for many years, and so I learned so much uh, from the founder, uh, Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. Um, there's been so many mentors along the way, but 
most recently, I would say my mentors happen to be um, people in the more who are who are doing work around mindfulness or who are teaching. So there's uh, so many educators like like Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, or um, um, yes. you know uh, even Dr. Wayne Dyer, the late Dr. Wayne Dyer. Yes. Um, the, these are people who are bringing mindful practices there it's definitely more eastern i would say uh but even when i teach mindfulness to religious organizations which i've done i've been brought into christian and jewish organizations among others uh they they see the the, the connection right away right like there's a there's a deep connection in all of it and so you know i i'm coming from a place I come to mindfulness from a more spiritual place, but that doesn't necessarily mean everyone needs to, right? People can come to it, for, as I said before, just being in the present moment and, and, uh, and there you are. I mentioned a lot of my mentors. I mean, you can kind of see my mentors uh, throughout the book because I quote a lot of different people along the way. Also, by the way, have, a, have an online course that goes with the book. Um, if anybody is interested in that as well, um, you can sign up for that on my, on my website. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Very nice. So let me uh, interject here because much of what I do, in fact, the whole mission of what I do is to um, create equity in the workplace and mm -hmm. hopefully in the world, but we'll start with this step. Mm -hmm. um, I try to shine a light on women so that they can share their messages and walk their walk, not just talk the talk, but actually um, gain some traction and move the needle. You are one of those women. What do you think that other women can do to support? They may not have the channels that you have or that I have or the means. Mm -hmm. What? How can women just in a day-to-day -day way support other women? Oh, that you know, and again, such a beautiful, powerful question because when we think about leadership, oftentimes we think of those who are supposedly at the quote-unquote top of a company. Right. And that's not my definition of leadership at all. I, my definition of leadership has to do with who you're with. As long as there's more than one person in the room, you're both leaders. That's interesting. Tell me more. So when I think about leadership, I'm saying that you are, you are, you are being integritous. Like you have integrity in what you're saying, in what you're doing. You become a role model for others, anyone who right. is whether you know if you're a parent even you're you're a role model for your kids you you are a leader in that if I you, love it yeah it, it doesn't matter like if you are um if you are kind as you go through your day I'm not talking about nice nice is different <laughs> kind is in my mind anyway is a much deeper sense yes. of a place I come from like where are we coming from I'm coming from a place of kindness of joy of love of wanting to to um wanting to offer love and peace and light to people in any given situation that to me is is how i try how i my practice of showing up in the world no matter who i'm with if, even if it's one person and in that again i become a role model and i'm not saying i'm, I'm just using myself as an example but i we love all it have that opportunity every moment of the day and i when, i know I, you've I, all heard Oh, sorry. Let me, let me just interject this. You are, I want to make sure people understand that your being on this podcast makes you a leader because you're leading by example. You're showing kindness and compassion to others. You're listening. You're sharing um, 
tools, uh, mm -hmm. the practical tips. You're talking about your book that shares tools and tips. Um, if you have, if you've noticed when I opened the show, I say, I want to tell your story so that in your shining, you give permission to others to shine as well. Is that what you're saying by we are all leaders when we mm -hmm. lead by example? Yes. I love the way you said it. <laughs> that is, yeah. And I did hear you say that at the beginning and it was so, it, it actually warmed my heart in that moment. Um, and, and I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think that too often people don't see themselves that way. They don't, they're not empowered. Right. Um, oftentimes, and, and this is not a blame or shame or anything, it's how we're taught to be, especially as women, that we're, we are taught to be followers. And we have to actually take actions to step out of that. Uh, and, and all it is is a shift from within. It has exactly. nothing to do with anyone else telling you, you are, you know, who, who you are or should be or could be or any of that. It has to do with the shift from within that you have to decide, you know, I am a leader and every place I go, I, I carry with me potential, compassion. I carry with me so much power. We each have so much power to make a difference. I've been saying this to my students for years and years, you know, we each have so much power. We have these circles of influence around us, whether it be friends or families or coworkers or any, anyone that we come in contact with, we all have that, that potential. <laughs> you know, Dr. Samuels, I um, am one who has always owned her story. And I think that you're hearing more of that, you know, Oprah, Brene Brown, you, me, you know, we're all out there saying, own your story, bring your whole selves to work and mm -hmm. home. And I think that's powerful. I have to say, I've been that woman since I, since I, was, since I was a girl. I was that way. But I, I faced a lot of bias from other women who would say, um, oh, she's so self-promoting or she's too open or TMI or oversharing. Or Now, certain things are appropriate and not appropriate in certain settings. I'm not talking about that. But when a man would say or a male would say or do the same or similar they would say oh he's so confident in his skills what a leader but a woman would say or do those things and oh she's a self-promoter and that just is one of the reasons i do what i do today mm -hmm. i love i love what you said there's i'm finding more and more there's collaboration um as yeah. an entrepreneur now for a of, eight, of all of 18 months, I'm just amazed at the amount of people who have come forward to say, how can we work together? And yes. it's a beautifully, such an incredibly uh, powerful way to go through life rather than feeling like, you know, the, the old, it, this is a difference between masculine and feminine energy. Masculine energy was, I got to do it myself and I'm just going to go, 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 go. And uh, feminine energy is much more of the how do we all move each other forward? How do we right. all move forward together, helping each other? And I, I love, I love that. I love it. So I always say that competition is the name of the game in sports, but in business, collaboration is the new name of the game. So yeah. it's yeah. how we win. Um, mm -hmm. We win together. I want to just say one thing that um, you made me think about the Dalai Lama. He says that when we do all the talking, we, um, we do not have an opportunity where we are um, forbidding ourselves an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's, mm -hmm. that's powerful stuff. Um, 
let me ask you this. It sounds like your life has been amazing. I know you mentioned the impetus for your book. You tell your story. You're very vulnerable. Um, can you touch upon with whatever, at whatever level you're comfortable, what has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome it? Um, I would say my biggest challenge was, uh, I mean, this is really part of my story um, and I won't go into too much detail here, but um, I know that there will be other women who can 100% relate to what I'm about to share, which is uh, it wasn't until I had gotten, I, I spent most of my life succeeding, right? I got degree after degree. I was, you know, on the tenure track, all of the things that, you know, a su success looks like in, 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 our, in our current society. Um, and then as soon as I graduated with, from my PhD, which uh, was, was almost a decade ago, uh, I was realized that the nightmares that I'd been having a, uh, for my whole life were not nightmares. They were memories. Wow. And let's, let's leave it at that because I know yeah. you go into that in your book. Yeah. But, oh but my I, gosh. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. So I just dealing with that, um, at the level that I did and I don't, I, by the way, just for folks who I'm really careful since I, um, come from trauma, I'm really careful about how much I share in the book. I don't, my goal is never to re-traumatize. Right. So I, I'm very careful about that. I don't, I don't go into any graphic detail at all about what happened to me, but um, it, it's pretty clear. You can tell, you can kind of, <laughs> you can kind of figure out some of the things that have, that, that have happened, but um, I, I'm not graphic about it. And I right. do that intentionally. So all that to say. We don't want to trigger readers. So I'm yeah, glad. No. And yeah. yeah. And I, I'm also very careful about what I expose myself to. I mean, being a, a trauma survivor and all of that. I had PTS for, for a bunch of years after that and to the point um, that I, I'm, it's nothing short of miraculous that I'm actually even here today. So, uh, so every day to me is, I mean, you know, is, is an honor, is a blessing, is a, you know, I, I, I really do live my life feeling like I am living such a miraculous, beautiful uh, life. And it's not that challenging things don't happen to me like they do with everyone else you know our our lives are the way they are but it's all about living from the inside out that's what i've learned like when i've that my over my overcoming some of these challenges not, and especially when i tell you i mean i was it wasn't wasn't good you know so yeah um, but uh, if i can if i live from the inside out rather than the outside in already i'm overcoming in I other words that. Yeah, the, the outside in for those of those folks who aren't familiar with that concept is, you know, somebody will say they, you know, they, they had a bad day because X, Y, Z, you know, here, let me list the reasons for you that my day was bad. As opposed to somebody who's living, that's living from the outside in, that how you feel, how your day was is based on your external circumstances. Right. As opposed to living from the inside out is I am underneath all of anything, all of the social conditioning or the so social circumstances or what anyone said or did or any of that, underneath it all, I know who I am. And I am light and my spirit is light and I have good positive energy and that's who I am. And sometimes it can get clouded over for a moment, but my I measure that in what I, the way I look at it is a matter of resiliency. How quickly, yeah. when something challenging happens in my life, how quickly 
quickly can I come back to remembering, oh yeah, my spirit is life light, my energy is good and positive, and that's who I really am. All of this other stuff is just external stuff, which I'm not minimizing that stuff either, because that can, you know, that can weigh you down for sure. I think most of my listeners understand what you're saying. We talk about how um, the labeling, the marking, the external forces, how we define ourselves. We need to stop doing that and start to know us. Like self, self-actualization, actually. Yes. Yes. Study Buddhism. Um, yeah. You find who you really are and you sit with that and you, you, you love that person. Find who you are and be that and love that person. Yes. Um, and regardless of what happens to that person or from the outside in, you still remain true to yourself and authentic and nurturing of your, um, your, yourself, your real true being. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I, you and I speak the same language. We, Mm -hmm. I, I have fallen a little bit. I think a little PTSD uh, has crept up in now the irony. uh, You don't know my story, but the irony of my having to care for my mother now is just has been so, um, like whopping, if you will, to mm. use a powerful word, it's been whopping. Mm. Um, but I need to buy your book, live your book, listen to what you're saying, live what you're saying, and believe what I believe, and live what I believe that we should be uh, living inside out. Like you said, that's very powerful. Living inside out, that's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you one last question: If people want to know more about you or learn uh, what you do, how can they reach you? Um, yeah, so the best place, honestly, is my website, uh, dinasamuels.com. Simple as that. There, all of the the speaking that I do, my my bio and, and client list and all of that, but also what I do, my courses. I have you know this new self paced online course that goes with the Mindfulness Effect book. Um, and there's a journal that goes with it. I mean, there's 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 uh, much there's much more. It's I'm really just scratching the surface of what right <laughs> what you'll find on the website, but. Uh, but if folks are interested, that's where I would go. Mm-hmm. If folks, that's D-E-N-A-S-A-M-U-E-L-S.com. Correct. Uh, Dina with an E. And you have tons of resources there. It's just really amazing. Um, I spend, I'm going to spend, now that we've had this podcast, even more time there than I have. And I did spend quite a bit of time there prior. Um, but I love learning your personal story, hearing you tell your story in your voice, you certainly shine. And I, I think there are others out there who are going to hear the podcast who will say, hey, I never thought about that approach or I'm going to buy that book. There are lots of great ideas that might help me to reconfigure each moment of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I feel that way whenever we talk and I'm going to be um, bothering you quite a bit. <laughs> I love it. I, it's not a bother at all. I love it. I love it. Awesome. I need- you Susan is great yeah well you are fantastic I can't wait to bring my um event to Colorado and have you be the keynote lunch and keynote speaker so thank you um, you'll be amazing folks thank you for tuning in thank you for listening thank you truly listen to me thank you for tuning in not Mm -hmm. just to the podcast but really being mindful tuning in and 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 actually honoring and, and feeling gratitude for each moment Um, of the day. All right, everybody have a good day and we will talk soon. Bye-bye.